I have the privilege um, of introducing our in-house guest speaker. Uh, knowing that this was kind of be a fuller weekend for most of our team with Pete and Nisha finally getting married. Um, we were like, okay, so how, who are we gonna, we started praying like Jesus, we know, you, help us. That's always our prayer. Um, and we were like, who, who, can, who can speak, who can share? And it was immediately Summer Burry. She is, has been a part of our family. She and her incredible family have been a part of us for many years. And knowing her, she's on, uh, I was like, man, she is, she has said yes to a lot of our ministries. She helps in the kids team. She's incredible with her husband. Um, she's on our leadership council and she has said yes to the women's ministry. And this is just where, yes, she does a lot with things, but we also know like she's with us. She's with Ryan and I, and we feel we deeply, deeply trust her, her insight, her heart, her wisdom. Um, she's another, a fellow mom of four kids that through my week, as I'm, you know, going, ah, I think Summer's out there too, doing all the same stuff. <laughs> she's, she's rocking it. She's my inspiration. And so this morning, as, as we called her and we asked, hey, we really felt deeply, like I said, and she was like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't know if she's going to say this, but she said, I had just been asking God, like, I think I'm ready for some increase in my life. No joke. And then like two days later, we called her and, and invited her. And so her, she, she has given her yes to Jesus and to us. And it is an honor to introduce her. So Summer, come up. Good morning. Oh, you guys, thank you so much for letting me have this morning. I feel like after so many days of excessive heat and tons of smoke, the rain this last week and the cooler temperatures are just like refreshing to my soul. And it feels like a gift to be able to be with you on this beautiful, beautiful, fresh morning. And I'm super, super excited. Um, yeah, as Kate said, my family and I have been going to Living Waters for about five years. We've lived in the valley for about six. And so you've probably seen us around with our kids participating in some youth group events. And um, definitely if you have babies, you noticed when our entire family was serving in the baby room and everyone from my giant 16 year old son to my nine year old daughter were in there playing with babies. So we love to do that. And yes, I absolutely love our women's ministry and I'm going to shamelessly plug. If you have been wondering, should I go once a month and hang out with the women? I wanna just tell you, this is not your average women's program. These women are so committed to Jesus and so committed to each other. And we have a powerhouse time when we are here. So if you have not yet come, please come. When is our next one? The 15th. September 15th, 25th, September 25th, September 25th, yes. Um, and I do have the very great privilege of spending some time with the Leadership Council, which my very favorite part of that is being together with that group 
to pray over this family. And combining the ideas and the prayers together, watching God bring that to fruition, um, his kingdom coming here is an amazing testimony. So I, I am very, very grateful for that. And when we're not here, we live out um, in Sam's Valley near the Table Rocks. And even though we don't have any blood relatives in this valley, the people in our community there have invited us to be a part of their life in a way that is incredibly special to us. And that is where I do my full-time job, which is being a mom. We do have four kids um, ranging in age from nine to 16. And... um, and that is a very special and important job to me. Um, in that vein, in that knowledge, I just want to start with a confession. Having a mother stand on the stage with a Bible open to teach you about a parable, which has historically carried the connotation of being um, like a moral uh, compass. Um, That could be something that has a little bit of a heart wound for you. Actually, it's not just mothers. It could have been a teacher or a caretaker or really any female in your life who has held a place of influence in an effort to bring truth or from a desire to guide you into a productive life or even out of fear of the choices that you make, a mother may have used scripture as a tool to shame you or manipulate you or to try and coerce you to change your behavior or even to elevate a position of authority over you. And I am not exempt from that list. So, Before we go on, I just wanna say, if that has been your story, I'm sorry that that has happened to you. And I am speaking to my own children who are also in this room. Mothers are meant to lead their kids into intimacy. And when that intimacy is polluted by fear, it can be incredibly hurtful. And furthermore, if the Bible is the conduit for that shame, it totally distorts the purpose of scripture. So I just wanna put everyone at ease and say, I am not here to assign you a place in this parable or to call out your shortcomings or try to convict you of a lack of faith. I am here to tell a story. And hopefully that story gives us some insight into the kingdom of God and the purpose of Jesus. And I'm here to be a witness to his love for you, his pursuit of you, and his passion for intimacy with you. This last week, my husband was out of town at a job training. And as they were learning about best practices, which is what everyone is doing, right? Learning about a better way to do things. The instructors referenced to him something called training scars. And these are routines that were originally taught even if now we can acknowledge they aren't the most effective or even correct, that they are ingrained in us. And it's hard to make new thought patterns and behavior patterns when we've been using the old ones for so long. So I know that there are training scars in this room. And before we get started, I just wanna take a minute to pray over us. 
Jesus, you are here in this place and you are love. So I just ask that right now, you would cover everything that comes out of my mouth with that truth. That the filter that we receive these things would be your intimate love. Because you are here and you care about that, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for loving us and thank you for being in this place with us. And would you just stand in a place where I can see you? <laughs> Amen. Okay, you guys, parables. We've been working through these, this parable series and parables are incredible. Uh, I love a really well done story and the parables are just a compilation of poetry and metaphors and stories that bring this concept of the kingdom of God into ideas and places where our imaginations can actually start to grasp what it is. So the brilliance to me of the parables is their ability to communicate to such a large group of people. When our family spends time together, it is a serious challenge to come up with activities to do or movies to watch or even dinnertime conversation that can somehow target a group that begins with a nine-year-old girl all the way up through my 16-year-old son. So here's Jesus and he is speaking in a politically charged environment to highly polarized people groups. And he's telling stories that everyone is responding to and engaging with. And not only do the stories address his current, um, his current audience, but they also reach back and reference um, prophecies from, from the past. And here we are today, thousands of years later, and we're still talking about them and still learning about them. Now that is a really good story. So the bulk of the parables that Jesus told are also miraculously only a few lines long. And now if you are a parent and you've tried to communicate something concisely to your children, you know that that is really difficult. And if the middle school kids were still in here right now, they would give a hearty amen to that <laughs> confession. But Eugene Peterson is the author of um, the message translation of the Bible. And shortly before he passed away, he shared in an interview about his introduction to scripture as a child. It was confusing to him hearing phrases like Jesus is the rock or um, our enemies are swallowed up by God's wrath or his shield is around us. But the more he started to read, the more it engaged his imagination and he started to be able to picture the things that the scripture was showing. So he says, we are not meant to figure it out. We are invited to enter in to what is there. And that is true of so much of the scripture and I think especially of these parables. These little bits and stories are like episodes in a series. If you drop into one parable in the middle of the series, you can still get a glimpse of what's going on and appreciate what Jesus is saying. But if you've been watching since episode one, you know so much more of the plot and the backstory and every episode holds so much more. There's a bigger story going on and 
you may be able to understand why the specific interaction is so significant or why the references seem so scandalous. It's layered, not just with other parables, but with the interactions that happen between Jesus and the people groups, the miracles that are being performed, the teaching that he's doing to the crowds, and even the location of where everything is taking place. So when my oldest daughter was probably six or seven and she was learning to read, we were sitting in the chair together and she struggled at the beginning. It was hard for her to kind of leap forward into, um, into fluent reading. So we spent a lot of time sitting in the chair together, sounding out words, working through those short stories that like barely have any words, but they're trying to make it interesting for kids to stay connected. And she is, she is like reading a word, reading one more word, pausing and waiting reading a word, reading one more word, pausing and waiting. And finally, she says to me, mom, in this picture, do you think this little girl is the little sister or the big sister? And I said, you know what? I, I don't know, but what I love about this is that you are so tuned into the details of this story. And I feel like that is a way for us to approach these parables. The words are super important. They give structure to the story, but God is inviting us to lift our eyes to see the picture and to participate in the picture of what is happening. So today, whether you have been listening to this parable, this, the series about parables or not, if you are new to scripture or not, if you have a relationship with Jesus or not, I want to share this episode with you in the same way I would with a wildly popular series. I want to give you some pieces. I want to clue you into some of the main themes, but I don't want to give it all away because what I really want is for you to watch it and for you to see it and for you to interact with it. It's just that good. So let's read together. And um, actually, if you just want to listen I will read and you can close your eyes and just start to imagine. We are going to be in Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like a man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Okay, so to catch you up on this episode, I'm just gonna fill you in on a few details where we are in this story. So Jesus had already begun his public teaching and had started healing people with a lot of miracles. There were crowds following him and people were starting to divide into groups of who they believed him to be and how they were gonna respond to him. And he had also invited the 12 disciples in a very intimate way to be his appointed apostles. So let's consider who his audience would be at this time. So remember, the point of this is not to assign ourselves a particular character in this story, but to see the picture. 
no matter who Jesus is talking to or who ends up hearing the parable, his intent remains consistent. He's revealing the kingdom, which is the expression and the manifestation of himself. So the beauty and the brilliance of this parable is that there is rich, rich possibility of the true love that is embedded in the content And even though there might come some conviction and invitation for transformation, it's only going to come first through intimacy and connection. So for the sake of simplicity, we'll say there's likely three major groups who heard the parable. First was the common person. This is just not a Pharisee, not a disciple. It could be a person of any background, any gender, any age. Um, just the common person who is in the city where Jesus is speaking. The other would be the Pharisees who are the teachers of the law. And then obviously his disciples who he commonly took into private times to discuss and um, describe what was happening in the parables. So let's imagine each one of these groups experiencing this parable not to make assumptions about the group itself, but to see how Jesus is revealing himself to them so that we can benefit from their perspective as we are learning about the kingdom. So imagine the people during Jesus's time, many of them, their livelihoods were centered around farming. The city where Jesus had been teaching and preaching was also the same place where everyone would gather for business and community. So there was a lot of activity going on. And when Jesus would speak and give these parables, it's sort of the equivalent of like when we hear a presidential debate and everybody wants to weigh in on what they think it means and give an analyze of of what what is that gonna mean for if they become president. And the people were doing the same thing with Jesus's parables. coming up with all the, re- all the things that they thought that he was meaning. So the farmers, the common people, they're there in the town participating in the gossip and in all the chatter. But maybe, maybe the farmer is like, you know what? I hear what these guys are saying, but I, I have a farm to take care of. So he leaves the town and goes back home and he's up to his eyeballs and chores, taking care of the seeds, taking care of the plants, taking care of his family. And it's not until late that night as he's getting into bed and he's exhausted and ready to sleep that the line from this parable pops into his mind. And the line that he is thinking of night or day, whether he sleeps or wakes up, the seed is doing the work of sprouting. And he's like, yeah, you know what? There is actually truth to that. I'm exhausted and I'm getting into bed, but I'm very aware that all of my seeds are still working. They're still doing what they do. And in the morning he wakes up and he's walking amongst his plants and with a new awareness, seeing the progression of the stalk to the bud, to the maturing head, And he's experiencing it with a new kind of awareness, which is what Jesus said when he was talking about, if you have ears to hear, if you allow yourself for these things to come in. So, and he's thinking to himself, I mean, yeah, this actually is pretty mysterious. I don't exactly know how this works. Sure, I did the work of tilling the ground and pulling the weeds, but even if I had done all of that work without the seed, nothing happens. And so he 
he is thinking Jesus is talking about this and about the kingdom coming and being like this seed, this seed which produces goodness for my family and hard work for my hands and livelihood for us. And right here in my everyday life, but I thought Jesus was all about the religious people who were in the temple and following him and all of that. What if this kingdom that he's talking about is actually for me? It's for me for right here in my everyday life. So Jesus is saying to him, yes, this seed for sure, but I'm bringing this to life, to the full life so that it is ready to be harvested. Now, my heritage is farming, actually. Both of my grandparents grew up on farms, and like the parables, we have a family story that's been passed down through the generations. When my grandmother was a little girl, she went out to the field where her father was plowing, and they had a great big white horse who was like their their steady farm horse, beautiful, big, huge white horse. And he would get yoked to their donkey as they were plowing the field. And the donkey was as you would expect, a small, brown, regular looking donkey. So she is out there bringing lunch to her dad, watching everything that's happening. And when he comes to eat, she says, "Um, dad, you should beat that donkey and teach him a lesson. Every time the horse gets gets hitched up to pull, the donkey falls back and the horse does all the work. And I know he's littler, but that lazy donkey is not pulling his, he's not doing his job. And her dad said, don't you worry about the horse. He is plenty strong to pull the plow. I don't have the donkey there with him to pull the plow. The horse loves the company of the donkey. So so we are saying, Jesus, you are yoking us to you, not because of the hard work that we do, but because you love our company. And friendship like that is intimate. It's walking side by side, totally comfortable with our own identity and gifts. Not like you do you and I'll do me, more like I want you and you want me. If I come here with my whole self, and you come here with your whole self, will you walk with me? But we can't walk in this kingdom kind of walking until we've walked that way with Jesus. Until we have brought our full self to be yoked to him, we can't do that with each other. We can't bring the kingdom here until we've experienced the kingdom with him. So I just wanna stop here for a minute and I wanna minister this to us. I want to ask Jesus in his power to bring life and life to the full, even when it's beyond our comprehension. And we are gifted in the assurance of his presence and the ability to rest in it. So I'm just gonna pray again for you guys. Jesus, you you love to be yoked to us. You love to walk the rose of the kingdom with us not because we have some kind of amazing power that we're bringing, but because as you are doing your work, you love our company. You love to be next to us. So God, would you, in whatever way you want to communicate it right now, would you break off any kind of lies that we aren't important, our work doesn't matter? 
or that we have some kind of responsibility for how the kingdom is going to move forward. Would you just give us the experience of being yoked to you? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so now we want to also think about the Pharisees who were there listening to this story also. And even if they didn't hear the story firsthand, definitely it was being passed around and it would come to them. And when we listen to this story through the eyes of the Pharisees, we still are going to use this farming language, but not because of their occupation. It's more because of the prophecies that they had memorized. So the Old Testament is full of seed, soil, and harvest language. And when the Pharisees hear this parable, their minds are not going to a literal field. They are going to the teachings. And perhaps this teaching from Hosea in chapter 8. It says, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. She is now among the nations like a worthless thing. And the Pharisees knew this judgment. Up to that point, the only chance they had to escape the whirlwind and being swallowed up was to live according to the law with perfection. So here they were trying to scrape their way out of their consequences. If we zoom in on this story a little bit, we can look at an interaction that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John 3. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a leader among the church teachers. And when he comes to Jesus, he can recognize that there is power on him. He says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God was not with him. But Jesus felt the conversation focusing on the works that he was able to do. So he turns the conversation upside down. He's got to shake up the cycle of language and interaction that Nicodemus has as a training scar. And he says, I tell you the truth, no one can come to the kingdom of God unless he's born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. You're Israel's teacher. Do you understand these things? We don't understand these things. That's what we're saying in this parable. We don't get it. But Jesus goes on to say, not referencing his works, but the fact that he's going to die to fulfill the prophecy. And when Nicodemus stays totally confused, Jesus speaks to him verses that you and I know well and that we have loved for a long time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. And he's showing him the same way that he showed the farmer. It's not about the works. It's about the relationship. There is power. There is participation. But it starts with the same faith the farmer put in the seed in the ground. It's an invitation. Put your faith in me, Nicodemus. And Jesus finishes their conversation. Everyone who does evil hates the light 
and will not come to the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But deeds in and of themselves are not wrong. We can do good deeds as well as bad deeds. But if deeds are the thing that we are using to measure and to scrape out, then we fear the light and the exposure that our deeds are either one evil or they're just simply not enough. They can't do the job. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it can be seen plainly that what he has been done has been done through God. So I have a cousin who lives in Arizona. She has five kids and um, they are like one stage in front of where we are with our kids. And I was visiting her and remarking on how amazing her kids were. They've been through a lot in their life, but she... um, She's just a fantastic mom. And when you're with her kids, they're engaging and connected and relational. And so I sat down with her and I was like, okay, tell me what you did. Tell me what you did because I want my kids, like I love, I love what I'm seeing in your kids. How do I do that? And she could sense in me the same thing that Jesus could sense in Nicodemus. You are focused on the works. And I wanna turn it upside down. And so she said to me, if I took credit for all the good things, I would have to take credit for all the bad things too. And that is so true. I've thought about this over and over in our journey of parenting ourselves. But what it's saying is, if we want to hold the credit for getting out of our bad situations, we also have to hold the responsibility when we can't get out of our of our difficult situations. So she's saying, my works are in the light because they're not nearly enough. So Jesus did give a lot of correction to the Pharisees, but he did not stop inviting them into the kingdom. The correction came as grace if they had ears to hear. John three sixteen, this famous verse that we share all the time as believers was not spoken to his disciples. It was spoken to a Pharisee and that is the kingdom of God. If we go back to the prophecies in Hosea, it's chapter 10, verse 12, the promise is declared, sow for yourself righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. So he's saying to the Pharisees, it's the unfailing love of this Lord who has come that brings you to righteousness or rightness, which is what they wanted. It's the fullness of life that you're after, but he's setting you free, free from the responsibility of your insufficient works. And he wants to shower you with life. He's saying, I see you, I see your fear. I see you tired from trying to figure it all out. And he is saying, I am he, I am the unfailing love and I'm here. So I wanna just pray this over us right now, you guys, I want to just pray that Jesus, we have certainly tried in our own power to to earn our place in the kingdom to make our own selves righteous in your eyes. And we wanna just bring all of that to the light. 
bring it to the light and for you to look with freedom onto those places in our hearts. And we are tired. That is hard work that makes us tired. So Jesus, would you just be the unfailing love that comes over those places and brings us back to you? Amen. Okay, so the disciples. The the disciples did have a little bit of a leg up on some of the other people hearing this parable because they had spent a lot of time with Jesus and he had gone out of his way to explain things to them when he was done sharing parables with the crowds. So despite the fact that he had just finished doing that with the parable of the sower, clearly outlining the symbolic representations of all the different components of that story, I'm 100% convinced the disciples had no problem at all hearing this different rendition and quickly identifying themselves as the men who do not know how. These guys wanted the kingdom bad, but from from rebellion to the Roman government and to zealot uprisings, they were under no misguided belief that they had some kind of influential power. Instead, they felt defeated. They were frustrated, they were deserted. They knew the promises of the Old Testament when Isaiah says, the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And later that he says, the soil makes the sprout come up and garden, and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And the disciples are saying, when is that gonna happen? They had, all they knew was destruction and oppression. Were they not praying correctly? Were they looking in all the wrong places? Did they miss it or mess it up? I think likely they flopped back and forth between being so tied to this belief that yes, it was coming. And and then again, feeling like despair and no, it's not. We've been waiting and waiting and looking and looking and it's not here. Nothing is ever changing. So again, this parable reaches back and it reaches forward, but it's also for them to understand the kingdom right now in front of them. They are watching the progression of Jesus in the same way that the farmer was watching the progression of the plant. That first, when Jesus came, he was just speaking to a small group and they weren't allowed to talk about it to anybody. And then it began to grow and he began to perform miracles and he started to speak to more people. And then he began to proclaim, I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. But still the disciples were feeling like, but is it gonna go all the way? We've had people make, make claims like this before. Is this time gonna be real? Are you going to bring us to the fullness of life? And Jesus is saying, yes, all the way to the harvest. I am going to bring you life to the very full. And so I wanna pray this over you. 
I wanna pray over you that I, I know Jesus, that there are people in this room that have been waiting and waiting, not just for their own personal promises, but for, this, for the, the promise that you made that the kingdom is coming. And we wanna see it. We wanna see it to the full. So God, help us to keep our faith in you. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to be connected to you. And that we would, in relationship and being yoked with you, that our faith would be renewed. Okay, so you guys, we have way more benefit in this story because the parable following this is the mustard seed, which is the great expansion of the kingdom. And as we are moving through the end of the gospels and into the New Testament letters, this little parable grows full with expanded and robust experiences. So near the end of Jesus's life in John 12, 23, he says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The kingdom was right then, right there with Jesus, just as he had said, and it was also meant to grow. And in order to make that happen, he gave his life so that we could have the seed inside of us. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul is explaining, we all have contributions. This is the verse where he's saying, one person does the watering, one person does the planting and the sowing. But he's saying, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, his building. We are his workers. We are yoked to him. We are connected to him in relationship. And the expansion happens in us that we are meant for growth. We're meant for individual growth, but we're also meant for community growth in the kingdom. So when we feel our limitations and experience our weakness, God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So day or night, if we sleep or we get up, it's not dependent on our works and deeds. It's always been about his power in the kingdom. And when Paul writes to the Galatian church, they get the full explanation. They get the whole story. And this is a long passage. I'm only gonna read a few bits and pieces of it, but it is so worth going back to and reading through to hear about how God is saying, there is, there is both and. We are walking in this together. So it says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing giving to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the Spirit. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to your seeds, but to the seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So what I'm saying is the law, which was introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant and do away with the promise. The inheritance, if the inheritance depended on the law, then it no longer has a promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. So what's the purpose of the law? It was added because of the transgressions just until the seed would come. And before this, we were locked up until it was revealed 
But the law was put in charge to bring us to Christ because we are sons of God. So you've clothed yourself with Christ. You belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs, according to the promise that we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, the enduring word of God. So this is us, you guys. This is the kingdom now within us. Our works and deeds were never, ever meant to be enough. And yet we're being invited to grow in the power and the love of Jesus, participating with him to bring life and life to the full all around us, right here in our everyday lives. He is saying this to us. I see the wrestle, the pulling of your heart, the attention to another way or an ever encroaching, ever encroaching doubt. But you, you are made for kingdom power. And when we walk with Jesus, that kingdom power is uniquely expressed in each one of us according to our relationship with him. So for me in my own personal walk with him, a lot of times that ends up getting expressed in interactions with my kids. And so as the worship team is getting ready to come back up, um, I just wanna share one more story with you about my own family. Uh, when my younger son was seven, he came home from school and I could tell he'd had a really rough day. And um, when we were going to bed that night, he was still, it was still hanging on. And so um, despite my best mom efforts to get him to, to talk to me about it and to share it with me, just we weren't, we weren't getting there. And so when I laid next to him and at night, I said, Trey, let's just pray about it together instead. And so he agreed and closed his little eyes and held onto my hand. And I felt God saying to me, just plant the seed. And so I took the opportunity to usher Trey into the presence of God. And I just said, Trey, imagine that you and Jesus are going on a special day together, just the two of you. And you can go anywhere you want and have special time with Jesus. Where would you wanna go? And he said, I wanna go to Jump Sky High which is that trampoline park that we love to go to in Portland. And um, I was like, oh, Jesus would love to go to Jump Sky High with you. I can just imagine with you that you and Jesus are there jumping on the trampolines together, doing flips into the foam pit. What else are you guys doing? And he said, with his little eyes closed, he said, oh, we're, we're on the, bas the, the trampoline basketball court. I'm slam dunking and Jesus is cheering for me. And, he's go and I can just see he's, he's in it, he's there. And so I, I just gave him a minute and then I was like, oh, Trey, that is so awesome. Okay, and now like you and Jesus are getting tired and you're ready for a little break. And so you go over to the table and you sit down and you're having a little snack and, and drink together. What do you think Jesus would bring you for a snack and a drink? And he was like, Gatorade. Gatorade and a chewy bar, yes. So here you are with Jesus, you're eating your Gatorade, eating your chewy bar and having your Gatorade and he's just talking to you. And he's like, hey Trey, how was your day at school today? But Trey, you're not having this conversation with me, so you don't have to say this out loud. This is totally okay for you to answer Jesus in your imagination and just tell him about your day. So it was quiet and we waited, I was praying. And 
when he was done, he just squeezed my hand a little. And I said, Trey, I think Jesus wants to take that hard part of your day. It's like a wrecking ball that's been inside you, just slamming around in your heart. And as you've been talking, it's like all the words are going into that wrecking ball. And then when you say it to Jesus, it just comes right out of you and it's in your hand. Can you feel it in your hand? And he's like, his little eyes closed. Yes, I I can feel it. Do you wanna give that to Jesus? And he just waited for a minute and then yes, Yes, he gives it over to Jesus. He said, I did it, mom. I gave it to him. And I said, oh, I'm so glad. How does that feel? And he said, it feels good, but what if it comes back? And I said, that's a really good question. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. We can give him something that's hard and hurtful, and he's going to give us a gift. So, Sometimes his gift is just a feeling. It's just like all of a sudden you have a totally different feeling than you had before. Or maybe the gift he gives you is a word that when you're worried about that hard thing coming back, you have a word that you can remember and hold on to. Or sometimes Jesus gives you a picture in your imagination, a picture of something that explains his love for you or who he is. And then anytime you want to, you can go to your imagination and see the picture. But whatever it is, Jesus is gonna give that to you. You can just hold out your hand. And when you're ready, ask him, Jesus, do you have anything you wanna give to me? So we're laying there in his bunk bed and I can feel his little hand just raise up. And a moment later, he pops his eyes open and looks at me and he goes, mom, Jesus gave me a word. I said, he did? What word did he give you? And he said, he gave me the word upstander. Do you know what that is? And I was like, no, I do not know what that is. I've never heard that word before. What is an upstander? He said, an upstander is someone who stands up. They are a protector. And I said, Trey, that is amazing. How does that feel? And he said, that feels really good. And I said, okay, now you take that word and you're just gonna hold it and put it into your heart. And everywhere where the hard thing that happened today was hurting you inside, that's where that word is gonna go. And so he closed his eyes and just took his little hand and placed it on his own little bare chest. And we both were just in this moment of emotion and gratitude and worship. And I thought, Jesus, you did this. You invited me to plant a seed. You let me walk with you as we, were, as we went up and down through this place in your kingdom. But I'm standing here to say that seed is sprouting by your power. By your power, he is growing. And guess what? So am I. Now I feel my own self growing. And as he receives that, your kingdom is growing. And so I wanna just pray this over you as we are getting ready to worship. And then you guys, just like we do every week, um, as I release you, you're free to go and get your kids. Please don't miss the opportunity to engage with our amazing community. The lobby will be open for that. Um, And then if you wanna stay in this room and just have a minute to talk with God, 
about any of the things that resonated in your heart. And I just wanna invite you to do that. Um, but let me pray over you and then, um, and then Kira and the team will just lead us right into our time of ministry. There's also communion. If you want to have communion on your own or with your family, I just encourage you to participate however the spirit is leading you today. Lord Jesus, we, we just love you. You're amazing and we feel your invitation to be yoked to you, to walk with you, to do this kingdom life with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive your intimacy, receive your invitation, and that we would go forward in love and in power. Thank you for being here with us today. And I just bless this community as we go out. We pray a blessing over Nisha and Pete this week that you would just flood them with celebration and enjoyment of their love and that they would come back, God, just even more full of your presence. Thank you so much for this morning. We just worship you and we love you. Amen.